Welcome back, everyone. Episode two of Reteaching the Game. This is your host, Ethan Noroff. You can find me on Twitter. Just use my name to do so. First name, Ethan underscore Noroff. Anyone trying to spell that for the first time, that's N-O-R-O-F. Beyond my friends, my family, and anyone not paid to listen to this podcast, welcome back. Welcome in, whether you're joining us after episode one or you're just joining on for episode two. So excited to have you here. Appreciate you joining on the journey. I realized that in episode one, we didn't really talk about what reteaching meant in the context of reteaching the game. So I wanted to just start with that very quickly today, and then we'll go over a quick show outline, and then we'll get started, all right? So when we talk about reteaching the game, reteaching is not just giving somebody more of what they already have. Let me give a teaching example. This is very on brand with my experience in middle school. We have a tendency for those kids who struggle in math to say, I know just what you need. You need more math, more math practice. Someone who's already struggling with concepts just gets more work on the same concepts. Does that make any sense to anyone? No? Okay, cool. That's not what we should be doing. And that's not what this podcast is gonna be doing. So instead of reteaching, like giving more of the same thing, We want to provide a different perspective, a fresh perspective, and we're going to do that with basketball. We're going to do that with teaching. We're going to do that with TED Talks, blending in life lessons. We're going to bring it all the way around and offer a perspective that just isn't out there right now. So super excited to have you all with me. And without anything more on that topic, let's get started on the show outline. Today's episode, episode number two in the history of this show, will go over mostly the Lakers and the fact that It has been a struggle in LeBron's first unofficial half in the purple and gold. Now, granted, he's missed a lot of time due to injury. Almost a quarter of the season he was out. But that being said, there is no excuse for where this team is. We're going to talk about Luke Walton, his job status, his role in everything, what that dynamic might look like there. And before we go any farther, I just have to say one thing. This Magic Johnson, Ben Simmons non-story, we are all dumber for having to having to having really had to go through that. We are all dumber for that. That was a whole bunch of nothing. It was sort of the most ridiculous thing that could have been perceived as news, passed along as news. And when we talk about our role in communicating information, sharing information, what we deem valid, this is a great example. There was absolutely nothing of significance to this story. And it was headline news. Headline. Can we do better? Can we aim a little bit higher than this? I think we can. So that'll be the any time that I spend on that. But we will get into Luke Walton pretty heavily. We'll get into D'Angelo Russell, former Laker, with a lot to say about his former team as he joins All-Star Weekend as a participant. We'll talk about player development. We'll talk about Kyle Kuzma and the perception of Kuzma Versus the perception of Brandon Ingram. Very interesting dynamic for the Lakers. And one I still think they're going to have to figure out sooner rather than later. The chemistry and identity of this team. What is it? Is there anything there yet? Nearly 60 games in, you would think there should be something. Right? We'll get into that a little bit. And we'll get into where the Lakers might go from here. After the Anthony Davis domino did not fall. That so many were expecting to happen, especially when we heard about a godfather offer on the table. We'll get into that as well. 
And after all that, we'll get into the gift that is Russell Westbrook, right? What a guy. Quote machine, triple-double maniac, and just a wonderful gift to all of us so we can discuss what he has to say. We'll finish it up with a TED Talk. I said at least one TED Talk a week. For the first two episodes, we're going to get one TED Talk on each. That's going to be a big part of this. Leaving you guys with something to take home beyond just my words. All right, so let's get started. There has been a lot of conversation about Luke Walton, right? There has been a lot of open questioning about his job. Is he the right man for the job? What's his job status? Can the Lakers fire him? All these sorts of questions. And most of the criticism that he takes, in my very, very strong opinion on this, is unjust. He's an easy target. Coaches are such an easy target for critiques, right? When everything's going well, it's the players. When everything is going poorly, we hear about the coaches. It's, it's true of all sports, really, but especially in basketball, right? Especially in basketball. My biggest issue with blaming Luke Walton, and he has issues and we'll get into those. Oh, trust me, we will get into those. But my biggest issue with blaming Luke Walton for everything is not everything is his fault. Effort. Effort is not something he can directly control. He can influence it. And if you want to critique his, his ability to influence effort, that's fair. It's not something that I'm going to sit here and do, but that's fair. Right? But he's not out there playing these days. Right? It does fall on the players in a lot of ways. But when you have bigger issues for a team, whether it's the way the roster is built, the chemistry, the stat, contractual status of players, right? When you have bigger issues plaguing a team, easy replacements, they don't typically work. In other lines of work, it's called the quick fix, the band-aid. What's something we can do now to show people we're doing something, but it's really not going to do anything or have a minimal impact. And coaching changes can fall under that sphere. So when we sit here and criticize Luke Walton, let's consider that bigger issues don't necessarily have easy replacements, but it's easier to replace him than it is the players. The supply and demand curve doesn't look the same between coaches and players. But Luke Walton hasn't exactly had any continuity on this roster during his tenure. It's been pretty dramatically redone each and every year. And now in the first year of LeBron, Oh, and by the way, LeBron missed almost a quarter of the season. He's had to make a number of adjustments, right? He has not exactly been put in enviable positions. And for what he's had to work with, at times, he's done pretty well. At other times, there have been criticisms that are fair of Luke, just like any coach. We got this article from Broderick Turner, also known as Brad Turner for some of us. The LA Times, very, very good beat reporter does a lot of Clippers, but has recently been really swinging hard on the Lakers. I like what he has to say generally. He dropped an article and he says, Walton will, quote, definitely finish the season, end quote. Right, definitely finish the season. This front office benefits from the fact that they did not hire Luke Walton. So even though they have endorsed him in the past and expressed a level of confidence in him, They actually benefit from the fact that they didn't hire him directly, right? That works in their favor if, if 
there is ultimately a change to be made. Turner's article continued that, you know, pretty much everybody in the Lakers organization, this is a non-topic, quote, nothing is going to happen with Luke, end quote. Quote, there hasn't there hasn't even been any talk about it, and there won't be any talks about it. Luke will definitely finish the season, and he has the full support. So any talk in the media or on social media can be put to bed about Luke. He's not going anywhere. There has been no conversation about it, end quote. Now, of course, that quote would resonate on a lot more of a tangible level for a lot of us if it had a name next to it, but it's still a pretty good quote. Right? It's still a pretty heavy quote. And I think that's that's the reality, right? At this point, a coaching change is only going to complicate things for a team that's been through a lot of recent complications. So I don't think that's the answer. Not now. What does that achieve besides more chaos? I don't think the Lakers are going to benefit from that at this time. The Lakers do want to have Walton hold his players, quote, accountable, right? Accountability looks different to everybody. But one thing, one specific thing that they cited at least the sources within this particular article, article, was Walton making better in-game adjustments. And one of the many, quote, and I'm quoting right from Turner's article, one of the many sore points with the front office is that the Lakers are the worst free-throw shooting team in the NBA after finishing last in the league in the same category last season. And if you do want to criticize Luke Walton, I do agree with that particular point. Right? We're about to enter the All-Star break. The Lakers have no identity on either side of the ball. They don't know how to play with one another. They face an uphill battle to make the playoffs in the first year of LeBron. Whether you're evaluating basketball, free agency, or trades, that's all bad news. Right? But none of that has to do, or shouldn't say none of that has to do, but not all of that has to do with Luke Walton. What does have to do with Luke Walton is the repeated issues. And regardless of personnel, the Lakers haven't been able to do the little things well in Luke Walton's tenure. Turnovers, three-point defense, free throw shooting, extended effort, sustainable, all 48 minutes. And that is a major criticism that I have of Luke Walton. And I've generally been supportive of him during his tenure, but that is a major issue for me and that hasn't changed. That I put at the feet of the coaches. Not just Luke, but the entire staff is responsible for that. So when things like that happen, right? When things like that happen, the common denominator is the coaching staff. The Lakers have gone through a lot of injury this year, and there have been a lot of moving parts, but effort is controllable. Games are won in this league and lost based off of effort. So to sit here and say that doesn't matter, it's garbage. It does. It does. It absolutely does. So that's my take on Luke Walton. We'll see what the rest of this year yields. And in the offseason, I wouldn't say that I would be stunned if I saw a coaching change. I don't know that I'd even be surprised. But there is no magic bullet out there. There have been some people on Twitter calling for Phil Jackson to come back. Are, are, we, are we out in Montana with him? Are we out in Montana on that ranch with him? Losing track of time? Right? Let's keep it in reality here. Okay? Let's keep it in reality. 
Now we want to talk about D'Angelo Russell. And D'Angelo Russell, I have been incredibly hard on D'Angelo Russell in the past, both when he was with the Lakers and since he moved to the Nets. And I've got to say, good for D'Angelo Russell. He has proven me wrong and many others. And while he's not exactly magically embraced by everybody around him necessarily, he has done a better job of demonstrating leadership than he did in his LA tenure. But the reason he's synonymous with the Lakers right now in his first year as an all-star, when he's making headlines in Brooklyn, well, there was a Bleacher Report piece that just came out all about D'Angelo Russell. And it happens to discuss the Lakers. Of course it does. Any story that can be tied to the Lakers, we're going to tie to the Lakers. So in the greater context of the story, it talks about how in recent weeks, the current youngsters in L.A., not Julius Randle, who's obviously moved on to New Orleans, and obviously D'Angelo Russell is in Brooklyn, but the, the youngsters currently, the Josh Hart's, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, right? Those guys, Lonzo Ball. What they've been subjected to in the wake of this Anthony Davis conversation. And D'Angelo Russell said, I can't imagine what they're trying to block out. And then he later added, according to this article, if the Lakers didn't let me go then, they were going to let me go now. And I'd be going through what they're going through. Best thing that happened in my career. That last line. That was the flame emoji that sent off the viral sensation. Best thing that happened in my career, right? You can see the headlines now. D'Angelo Russell says Lakers releasing him, trading him was the best thing that happened to him. It's an instant click for a lot of people. It's easy. Easy money on that story. But here's the thing. He's not wrong. And that's not a commentary on the Lakers. It's just a commentary on the situation. Right, The Lakers attached D'Angelo Russell as an asset for the Nets to take on Mozgov so they could clear off that money. And at the time, it wasn't considered a huge thing because D'Angelo Russell had been a little bit disappointing. The Lakers were about to draft uh, you know, high again in the draft. They're about to get their point guard of the future, Lonzo Ball, or supposed point guard of the future, right? Supposed point guard of the future. And so off went... D'Angelo. But the reason he's not wrong is because I don't think he would have had this opportunity with the Lakers. Right? For better or worse, the Lakers are not in the business of player development. They haven't been for a long time. And now, especially with LeBron, they're not going to be. Not on the edges anyway. That's the coincidence in the fact that they're trying to develop these young players now. The core guys. But on the edges, they're not going to wait and sit around for development. And the Lakers decided they didn't want to sit around and wait for the development of D'Angelo Russell, who actually took a step back in his second season. So this opportunity he's had in Brooklyn, he wouldn't have had it with the Lakers. He wouldn't have graduated to this stage by this point. D'Angelo Russell is averaging career highs virtually across the board. He wouldn't have done that with the Lakers. So any Lakers fans sitting here knocking D'Angelo Russell, thinking he's trying to knock the team, he's not. He's just trying to be honest. 
And he's saying, look, it's the best thing that happened for me. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Right? The Nets, this is what they do. They develop talent. Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson, that entire crew, this is what they do. This is their strength. It's like somebody finding a college and saying, oh man, this is a great big school. Let's use USC as an example. I just want to go there because it's USC. And let's use a good school, but maybe a lesser known school. And you have a very specific interest, right? Let's use where I went to school as an example. University of Massachusetts, Amherst, where I studied sport management. Great career path, if interested. But if sport management is the top program at UMass, and it's offered at USC, but I don't want to, but I want the top program, right? For me, what's best for me? I, I want to go to UMass. And if USC is the Lakers, it's the shiny brand. There's all this glory past history that comes with it. It's historic to put on those colors. I get it. But there are other situations that maybe better fits for the individual. And that's what D'Angelo Russell is expressing with that quote. So I hope we don't see Lakers fans lighting up D'Angelo for that. But I'm sure there will be some. Which is a perfect segue into Kyle Kuzma. Right? Because in that D'Angelo Russell trade, the one to get Mozgov off those books, the Lakers acquired the pick that became Kyle Kuzma. There was such a high expectation of Brandon Ingram before he ever played a game with the Lakers. Right? There was such a high expectation. Part of it was the fact that he was the number two overall pick. Right? Where players are drafted, that has a direct influence on how we value them, how we view them, if we give them second chances, third chances, fourth chances, or even fifth chances. If Anthony Bennett was a second round pick, he wouldn't even be in the G League at this point. Okay, case in point. So this perception that exists between Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, if you ask me who's been the better basketball player this year, I would say Brandon Ingram. If you ask most people, they would say Kyle Kuzma because they would cite his offense. And all he's been able to do this year is prove that he can score the ball. And not necessarily efficiently either, okay? Not necessarily in a way that has benefited the structure of this particular team at all. And so, yeah, he can score the ball. But his three-point shooting has taken a major step back, right? Major step back. I wouldn't even say he's average at this point. And he's doing very little else. Defensively, Brandon Ingram runs circles around Kyle Kuzma. Brandon Ingram often has taken on the challenge of defending the other team's best player and won. And won. What does that tell you about Brandon Ingram? Oh, by the way, Brandon Ingram's birthday, birth year, 1997. He's 21. He's 21. People forget how young Brandon Ingram is, right? It's easy to do, but people forget. People forget that about him. And so this perception 
that Kyle Kuzma is a superior player? I don't know if that really aligns with reality. If you ask me who I'd rather have on a team, I'd say Brandon Ingram. And I know there will be people who agree with me and lots of people who disagree with me. That's totally fine. That's part of the beauty of why we do this. If you can have an informed opinion and you can defend it, that's a persuasive argument. That's a life skill. Please engage with me. Engage with each other. But the perception of how we view these players is directly tied to our expectations. And everyone has different expectations. So much of that is driven through draft position, but it's just our own expectations as humans. It's based off of hype. It's based off of what we know, what we don't know, learned comparisons. But Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma, there shouldn't be such a difference in how we view them. Really something to think about. What the Lakers need to consider moving forward is how the fact that Anthony Davis did not get traded to this team, at least at this time, impacts the chemistry. And not even for this particular stretch or the rest of this year, but how it permeates through the organization. Is it a me first approach when you have all these young guys who are playing for their next deals, they're not sure where they're gonna go next? Are they just looking to get theirs? How will that impact the organization? moving forward what kind of culture does that set and having LeBron there has been a huge benefit where that hasn't been so egregious where it might be on another team for those of you who have been watching the Lakers over the last several years just think about Jordan Clarkson out there right Jordan Clarkson and D'Angelo Russell sharing a backcourt is nightmare fuel just awful And so the Lakers really have to be considerate of the identity of this team and how it takes shape. I'm sure the Lakers will be in the Anthony Davis market again this summer. But Magic Johnson saying that the Lakers just want to get one of these guys. That's not a good quote to put on record. If you're so committed to Anthony Davis, be committed to Anthony Davis. See it through. Don't sound so desperate. That speaks to a lack of vision. We'll just get LeBron some other star to put with him and figure it out. Have a plan. And I'm not saying the Lakers don't, but there are certain things you just don't say. It's not necessary to provide a quote just to provide a quote. Magic is very good at speaking through the media, but he too makes mistakes on occasion. So the Lakers have to be considerate of that. Overall, the Lakers find themselves in a really tough spot. Even Rajon Rondo, even Rajon Rondo is talking and talking loudly on a team that he's been a part of for less than a year and he's barely played this year. But he's one of the loudest voices in that room. Thankfully so. From ESPN, we've given up a lot of points the last however many games, eight to 10 games, and it's just been a shootout. We haven't won many of those shootouts. And he's right. The Lakers can't win that way. They can't. Luke Walton, in the same article, talks about sacrifice. That's what I'm talking about with this culture thing. This me-first attitude. Kuzma, we just got to make the game fun. 
it's such a it's such a labor fuel process for this group right now. All star breaks coming at a good time, but it might be too late. I want to finish this out by talking about Russell Westbrook and the gift that he gives us. Russell Westbrook likes to say what's on his mind. And I love that about him. I love that about him. We all should. This guy, for the third straight season, can we just talk about how ridiculous this is? This is his third straight season averaging a triple-double. Remember when it was amazing that he did it once? This is his third straight year. Only one other player, Oscar Robertson, has averaged a triple-double for a season, let alone over three. Oh, and by the way, Westbrook is doing it with three kids at home, all under two, including a pair of newborn twins. Obviously a pair, they're twins, right? Duh. And so yeah, Westbrook, is, his shooting percentages are a little lower than we've come to expect. I think we can excuse it given the context and maybe explain why. And so the media as a whole likes to ask him a question about what's happened to his shooting, which is a very fair question because it's career lows across the board. Some massive dips, especially at the free throw line. But like I said, the kid has, the guy has, the guy, he's a kid himself still. He's got three kids under two including a newborn set of twins. Hello? You think things are a little bit busy? Just perhaps. So recently, as Westbrook was answering these questions, he basically said, I don't care. Quote, I've been blessed with the talent to not give an expletive. End quote. And honestly... That's going to come across as arrogance to a lot of people. But it's not. It's unbelievable self-confidence in who he is. And everybody should be striving for that level of confidence in themselves. This is what Westbrook has to say. Quote, regardless of what happens, it doesn't change the way I live, what I think. I have an unbelievable family, great friends, an unbelievable life, unbelievable job. I make a lot of money at my job. I'm extremely blessed, thankful, humble. I haven't been in trouble. I don't cause no problems. I'm perfectly fine. I'm living my best life and I can't complain one bit. He say, she say, what somebody says about shopping, shooting, passing, dribbling every year, it's something. They've got to make up something about me, which is fine. It's good. One thing I always know is if they're not talking about you, you're doing something right. Right? He's right. He's right. At the end of the day, opinions of others, that doesn't define who we are. So Westbrook might come across brash or arrogant, but it's not it. He's just so unbelievably fulfilled in who he is. It's amazing. And I think we should appreciate that, not condemn it. Not criticize it. Just something to think about from a different perspective. That's what we do here. And on that note, the TED Talk I'm going to leave you all with. It's TEDx. How I learned to read and trade stocks in prison. Curtis quote Wall Street Carroll talks about financial literacy. 
11 minutes long, well worth your time. Make sure you hit me up, Ethan underscore Noroff on Twitter. Let me know what you think of the video. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be back with you guys for episode number three.